Hey, gracious God, um, we, we, we thank you that you are still in control no matter what happens on Tuesday. But most importantly, we pray for our country. We pray that, that you, would, you would heal the brokenness, that you would heal the divisions, that you would bring us together, and that we would realize that the things that divide us are much less important than the things that unite us. And I pray that as a church and as the people of God, that we might model unity and love and grace and reconciliation in the midst of division. Amen. So we are in the middle of a series uh, called Practicing Abundance. And last week, the, the, last week what we tried to do was to, to help you begin to think about the ways, that, the ways that you are living. And, and my premise is this, that many of us are living an unintentional life, that we really, life just kind of happens and then catches us by surprise, and that we're not being intentional about the way that we're living. Uh, and, and, and for many of us, we use the story of the good, um, uh, not the good Samaritan, the rich young ruler. Uh, we use the story of the rich young ruler because he comes to Jesus and he's forced to make a choice, and he's forced to answer the question about what matters most. And many of us have not taken the time to decide what matters most, and so I really encouraged us to make that decision, to take some time and to figure out what matters most. But, but the other thing that, the other thing that I, I talked about is how often for many of us our abundance, the abundance of time or the abundance of money or the abundance of resources or the abundance of privilege, you choose it, that our abundance often ends up causing scarcity in our lives because we have so much of whatever it might be that we feel that there's no margin and we feel that there's scarcity when in fact there's abundance. But a number of you actually came up to me afterwards and said, I kind of understand what you're trying to say with your sermon, but I don't really feel like there's abundance in my life. Right? I don't have abundance of anything, of, of any shape or size. And then a couple more of you came up and said, I kind of think I like where you're going, but honestly, I overthink everything already. And it seems like maybe you're just going to make me feel guilty about the way that I'm spending the resources that I've been stewarded with. And so here's what I want you to hear. Here's what I want you to hear. Many of you have abundance that's causing scarcity. Others of you simply have scarcity. And the point of this series, the point of this series is not about adding guilt. It's about actually being intentional about living the life that God has called you to. It's about letting go of some things to embrace the things that really matter. But more than that, it's about taking a practical next step to embrace the abundant life that God has for us. See, there's always abundance in the economy of God. There's always abundance. But for many of us, for many of us, to receive the abundance that God has for us, it will mean sacrifice. And it will mean practicing abundance. Which leads us to what I want to talk about today. One of the areas that we feel scarcity in more than any other place in our lives is our calendar. Right? People in D.C., it is a mark it is a mark of pride to be ridiculously busy, right? You rush into a room, you take a deep breath. <sighs> I'm just, I'm sorry I'm late. I just have so much going on. I mean, I just came from another meeting and my Uber driver was running late or Uber pool now we can all complain about, right? There's all these reasons that we're, we're upset. I mean, try, just if you, if you don't believe me, try coordinating calendars with someone after church. Just pick someone at random and say, we should get coffee and then try to coordinate calendars. 
When I talk to you, I always hear things like, I'm exhausted, or I'm overwhelmed, or I'm overscheduled. And I understand it because I'm exhausted, and I'm overwhelmed, and I'm overscheduled. Turns out having a baby adds a lot to your life. I'm just figuring this out now. And, and to top it all off, I'm preaching a sermon on calendars on the, the week that my baby has entered the stage known as sleep regression. Any parents ever heard of sleep regression? It is about the four-month period where the baby that used to sleep well now stops sleeping well. So this morning, on the day I thought I was going to get an extra hour of sleep, my baby turns out does not know about daylight savings time. Um, but having a baby takes it out of you. Finishing a dissertation or studying for comps. Working as a corporate lawyer, reporter, or consultant, or all the crazy things that we do require an insane amount of hours and cause our lives to be sporadic. And don't even get me started on the stress of being a, a parent to multiple kids. I can't even imagine. I'm just trying to figure out one right now. But my fear is, my fear is that in the craziness of our lives is causing us to live in an unintentional life and causing us to be less human. See, because when we stop being intentional about the way that we're living and ask questions about what matters most, it's easy for us simply to become a cog in the wheel. It's easy for us to become a cog in the wheel. And so today I want to talk about calendars and rhythms. And much of what we're going to talk about we inherit or we learn from Jesus, and ultimately we inherit from Judaism. Because the thing we have to remember about Jesus is Jesus was a good Jew. And so the things that Jesus teaches us are actually things that he picked up from his own tradition. There's a song by Simon and Garfunkel that goes, to everything there is a season and a time, to every purpose under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, a time to reap that which is planted. Now it turns out this song was inspired by scripture, Ecclesiastes to be exact. And it also gets an important aspect of Jewish religious life a life that was ordered by a calendar. For many of us, life comes crashing together in one giant lump separated by commercial holidays designed to sell us more stuff and maybe an occasional holiday to celebrate nationalism or if you're in school, the school calendar. But part of the lasting power of Judaism was that they ordered their calendar to remember who they were. Every culture, every culture measures time in a particular way but Judaism used seasons to reframe time. Judaism used seasons to reframe time. And so for fun, I just thought I'd quickly take a look at some of the ways that that happened. And this isn't just something that modern-day Jews uh, participate in, although if you have Jewish friends or if you're Jewish, like your families, even if they're secular Jews, still kind of participate by this rhythm. Um, it, and, and the thing is, though, that this was happening when Jesus was around as well. And there's, these, there's a few major seasons. The one is Rosh Hashanah. I, I, told, I practiced saying this. I knew I was going to mess it up. <laughs> I almost had one of my Jewish friends come and do this section. Anyway, um, Rosh Hashanah. And, and it's during the fall, and it's the beginning of the Jewish New Year. And, it's, and it's, a, it's a time to begin looking forward to the year that is coming. And then that season is ended with a, with a holiday named Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is a solemn day to the Day of Atonement, where an entire day is devoted to self-examination. So as you're looking towards the new year, you stop, you take a day of rest, you stop working or doing anything, and you use it to examine yourself as you go into the new year. Um, often there is also, uh, they will fast during this season. 
And then another season is called Sakat, um, which is a seven-day festival which celebrates fall harvest and commemorates the time when the Hebrews were in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. It is a time to be reminded of their dependence on God. Another is Passover. There's seven or eight day, it's a seven or eight day festival um, that, remo- that reminds um, Israel of, of the, the amazing liberation that God brings from Egypt so long ago. And there's this whole tradition that goes along with it. And each of these seasons are interconnected. Rosh Hashanah is connect, is a hunt, always takes place 163 days after the end of Passover. Right? There, there's a connectedness. This is also why the, the importance of having a rhythm to our calendar is why the church has a church calendar. Um, some of you grew up in a higher church tradition where maybe you, you celebrated seasons like Advent and Lent. We, we are kind of a, a mishmash um, here. We, we are kind of a low church that tries to follow the church calendar a little bit lightly. Um, and so uh, the church calendar goes this way. There is the, there's the season of Advent, which is, which is four weeks leading up to Christmas. Because the problem is often if we just celebrate Christmas, which is an amazing time celebrating the birth of Christ, it, it'll, it often gets co-opted. But the season of Advent is an entire month that leads up to Christmas, and we'll celebrate Advent as a church. It's an entire month that leads up to Christmas that is a hopeful expectation for the coming of Jesus. It prepares our hearts and minds for what takes place on Christmas Day. And then following Advent, we move into the, the new season, um, and we, one of the other things we celebrate is Ash Wednesday. And Ash Wednesday comes in February, and it's a time to begin to examine ourselves, begin asking questions about who we are and who we're becoming. And that leads into a seven-week period known as Lent. And Lent is a time of giving something up or of adding something to our lives to remind us of whose we are and why we are created. And then Lent leads into Good Friday and into Easter Sunday, this wonderful celebratory time where we remember that Christ, who died on the cross, has risen and is alive and active in our world. But it's a way to remind ourselves of who we are, right? This is why we have rhythms and calendars. This is why our church tries to loosely hold to these. But one of the other things that we learn from ancient Judaism is the concept known as Sabbath. We catch a glimpse of it in some of the earliest words of Scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God worked, and God worked hard. And then it tells us in Genesis 1, 2, 1 through 3, that the heavens and the earth and all who live in them were completed. And on the sixth day, God completed all the work he had done. And on the seventh day, God rested from all the work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all the work of creation. From the beginning of creation, God builds into it a rhythm of taking some time off, of ceasing from working. The idea was that the seventh day was blessed. It was different from all the other days. God takes the ordinary, an ordinary day, and he sets it aside for something holy. And here's what's so interesting. The idea of Sabbath of a Sabbath day rest, was completely foreign to the ancient world. Scholars have tried for years to find any other culture that celebrated Sabbath outside the Hebrew Scriptures, and there's no idea of Sabbath. There's no idea of a weekend, a few days to sit at home and catch up on housework. There was Leisure was only for the wealthy, but for everyone else, it was a never-ending work week. 
all of life ran together. And for 400 years, God's chosen people, the people who'd been promised that they were God's chosen people, found themselves as slaves in the land of Egypt. And for 400 years, they slaved away under Pharaoh. There was no time to rest. And so when Moses leads Israel out of Egypt into the desert, one of the first commands they receive about what it means to be the people of God, one of the first things they receive, First words they hear, what it meant to be the people of God, what it meant to be a nation of priests that mediate God's purposes to the world is found in Exodus chapter 20, beginning with verse 9. Remember the Sabbath day and treat it as holy. Six days you may work and do all your tasks, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. Do not work on it, not you, your sons or your daughters, your males, your male or your female servants, your animals or the immigrants who is living with you. Because the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them in six days. But he rested on the seventh day. That is why the Lord blesses the Sabbath day and makes it holy. And from sundown, in, in Hebrew culture, from sundown on Friday until sundown on Saturday, they would stop working. They would cease would stop doing. It was a time to remember who they were. It was a time for worship and for rest and enjoyment of good food and relationship. The word Shabbat literally means to cease. And there's three components of Sabbath. The one was feasting, eating good food, just enjoying life, remembering that there is more to life than simply making money or working. The second element was ceasing. And so in, in Judaism, they would take often, depending on which, uh, like how conservative they are, some people would cease from doing anything on this day, anything that would be considered work. I, I grew up in a, what was called the holiness tradition. Um, and when I was a kid, I remember my grandparents did not believe in doing any work on the Sabbath, right? That meant you couldn't go to a restaurant because you were requiring other people to work. Like you couldn't spend money or go to a store we weren't even allowed to use computers. I hated going to my grandmother's house because I wanted to like, check you know, whatever I wanted to check on, on Prodigy or whatever we had back then. And, and like, it was like, no, this is the Sabbath. This is a day to rest. And it was, it's an incredibly countercultural concept. In fact, the five-day work week that we all know and love, the five-day work week in the United States originates in the United States, but it originates from Christians and Jewish leaders coming together and saying, we have to have a time for people to rest, particularly for workers to rest. And so um, it started in New England cotton mills, and uh, the first five-day work week um, that we find is in a New England cotton mill in 1908, but it was Christian and Jewish leaders that worked to bring this about. And then it kind of spreads around the globe. See, God created the Sabbath to free us from the constant push to strive, to achieve, to do, and to become what everyone else wants you to do and become. It's easy to believe the lie that says you are only what you can do. You are only what you can produce. And you will never be more than you are now. It's easy to believe that lie if you don't take time to cease, to Sabbath, to rest, to remember who you are. Sabbath is intricately connected to, with creation because we were created in the image of God. We were created for beauty and for love, but our constant striving and our constant desire to become who others want us to become and our desire to prove ourselves 
We become nothing more than a slave, and we are not free to become who God created us to be. Friends, sleep, good food, even romance are all gifts that God gives us to step back and remember why it is that we were created, why it is that we exist. Um, the, the table we, at the table, one of our associate pastors who, had, who moved to Chicago, um, a guy named Caleb Scott, Caleb had this, uh, did this sermon on Sabbath a few years ago that I always remember. And, and Caleb said in this line, he said that we need to reframe the idea of me time, me time to Sabbath time. I love that idea, right? And said, I need some me time. I need Sabbath time. The time that you set aside on your calendar to recharge and remember who you are. It's so hard to take 24 hours simply to cease from doing because everyone has demands that they place upon you, whether it be your friends or your family or your boss or your church. Right? Everyone has demands they place upon you. And what would it look like for you just to carve out a, few, a little time in your life just to cease and to rest? When, when my wife and I, Charla, when we, when we managed to carve an actual Sabbath, 24 hours, where we just, where we cease, where we stop, we'll turn to each other at the end of that period and say, we feel like different people. We feel new. We feel refreshed. We're able to be better. I'm able to be a better pastor. I'm able to be a better parent. She's able to be a better employee at her job. Right? There's something powerful about stopping. Sabbath helps us to begin the process of reclaiming our calendar. But the Sabbath is only the first step in reclaiming our calendar. Because the way we use the other six days matters as well. My old boss, a guy by the name of Jim Wallace, Jim was famous for this phrase, um, budgets are a moral document, which I think is a powerful phrase. But I want to go as far as to say calendars are a moral document. Because calendars show us what we truly value. Because where you spend your time reflects what matters most to you. And the unintentional nature of our calendar often allows us to believe in the lie of scarcity. Right? That there is no time for other people. That there is no time for God. There is no time for whatever this thing is you say you value. But the, 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 the overwhelming nature and the chaos of life... Um, causes you to believe the lie of scarcity, that there's not enough time. And for many of us, the issue is we need to be more intentional about the way that we use time. Some things need to go. There are things that you need to cut from your calendar. And it's going to sometimes mean hard choices. And then there are other things that you need to add to your life. Some things need to be cut. Other things need to be added. Right? For, for many of us, the issue is we need to be more intentional about the way we need we use our time. There's a, there's a researcher by the name of John Robertson. Anyone remember John Robertson? He actually is a professor at the University of Maryland, and he's kind of like the time guru. Um, and, and Robinson, his claim is that we have way more leisure time now than we've ever had at any time in our society. Um, and even in kind of this crazy, hectic world of Washington, D.C., he says we have way more time than we, leisure time than we realize we have. Um, and so a couple years ago, Washington Post, the Washington Post actually had a working group that was studying why people were reading the newspaper less. And so the hypothesis of this group that had gotten together is that people read the newspaper less because they had less free time. 
And so this, this working group got together, and they heard of Robinson, and they thought, okay, this guy can prove our point. And so they, they designated one particular woman to go and to meet with Robinson. And, and she went in, and he's a bit crusty, and he's, she's like, you know, I think that the reason people are reading or are paperless is because they have less time. And he's like, wrong. Okay. Um, and and he's, he's like, people have way more leisure time than they've ever had. And she's like, well, but I don't think you understand the challenges of life in this area and everything. He's like, you have more leisure time than you realize. And she's like, I don't think you know what you're talking about. I've got two kids. I'm very busy. And so he challenged her to begin recording her time in a journal, the way that she used her time, the way that she used her leisure time. And at the end of a year, she said, because it's ridiculously hard to actually track all of her time, and she had to keep starting and stopping and starting and stopping. But finally, she got some good data, and so she took the data to Robinson and began going through it. And, at the, and he tabulated the amount of free time that she, the amount of leisure time that she had every week. And he, she had 27 hours of leisure time every week. Right? The problem is that many of us just don't realize where our time is going. Now, of course, the study has controversies, and there's a couple different ways you can look at it. You should Google it. Um, John Robinson, Washington Post. There's a fascinating article about this. But what struck me as I read about how she coded time was how much of our lives we live unintentionally because we don't even realize where our time is going. We don't plan our time well, and it takes us by surprise. We say things to each other, where has the time gone, or what in the world have I done with my day, right? And so, now, I'm not talking about, not saying we never make plans, but often the little moments of our day often happen without any intentionality. And what we find with Jesus is that Jesus uses his in time, his in time intentionally. Now, there's always a risk trying to extrapolate from the life of Jesus something to apply to the modern day world. So the chances are that Jesus did not have a day planner. Does anyone remember that? Franklin Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. Everyone had these giant things they'd carry around with them everywhere, and they like, had their goals and everything. Jesus probably didn't have that. Probably. I don't know. Um, maybe he had like a stone scratched. I don't know. But what we do see all throughout the Gospels was that Jesus makes time for intimate relationships. Jesus makes time for people on the margins of society, right? Even Jesus' handlers at times try to shoo away people that they think distract Jesus from the thing that they think is most important. And Jesus says, no, you don't get it. This matters. This matters, right? Jesus makes time for the least and the lost, Right? And Jesus also takes time, finds time to recharge. A guy who only has three years really on earth, or his ministry is really only three years of time, takes time to recharge, to remove himself, to pray, to spend time with the Father. Jesus would pull away from the crowd and spend time with his 12 disciples, and he would pour into them. But one of the things that we often miss is that Jesus would not only pull away from the crowds to spend time with the 12, but then he would pull away from the 12 and spend time with the three. He spent time with Peter, James, and John. And he shared things with Peter, James, and John that he didn't share with anyone else. They saw him, they were with, they prayed with him, and he taught them, and they were allowed to see him in his greatest moments of glory and also his greatest temptation. But then Jesus pulled himself even further away, and he removed himself for a time of prayer. Now, we don't know this because the scripture doesn't tell us this, 
But in ancient Judaism, you, there were three times a day that were set aside for prayer. Just a short period where you would stop, you would cease, and you would take time to pray, to be reminded who you are. And Jesus would take time for those who were considered unimportant. And as we decide, as we do the work of deciding what matters most and what is most important, we need to make sure that our calendars, whether that's your iPhone or your like piece of scratch paper in your back pocket or your brain, however it is that you calendar. I'm terrible with calendars, which is why I'm like giving this broad, this broad spectrum. But we need to make sure our calendars match our priorities. Now, I've learned a lot on, on calendars and priorities from a guy named Bill Hybels. I don't know if you've ever heard of Bill Hybels. Bill Hybels is a pastor in Chicago, but he also is just such a thoughtful leader. And Hybels encourages people to put the things that matter most on their calendar. Like literally, if you say spending time with, with your kid or with a friend or whatever it is that you say matters to you, instead of just saying, yeah, I'm going to really make that a priority, no, write it in your calendar. Put Put it down. Set a time aside. Like, so if you look at my calendar now, people mock me because it, it pops up. Date night with my wife, Charla, from 7 to 10 on Friday night. You can look now. <laughs> Mornings, gym, from this time to this time. Like, the things that I really value, I'm trying to put on my calendar so that I don't get caught up in an unintentional way of living. Because I can so easily get swept up in the urgent. Because when there is a, you're a pastor or when you're a 